Coming up, discussing the Padres bounce back against the Philadelphia Phillies and part two of our power rankings of the top 10 most disappointing D-backs from the 2022 season, all on today's Locked on Diamondbacks podcast. You are Locked on Diamondbacks, your daily Arizona Diamondbacks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into the Locked On Dimebacks Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day listening to who? It was charismatic host of this podcast, Miller Thomas. I'm a multimedia journalist and I'm a graphic designer, so please go check out my website, MillerThomas24.com. On there, you can see all my latest work, from my packages to my articles to my photos and my graphic design. If you want to see more content by me, just follow me on Twitter at CreatorThomas24 for my personal account, or just look up Locked on Dimebacks about Twitter, Instagram for the podcast handle, follow us on YouTube, Locked on Dimebacks on there as well. We need to get that subscriber count up. And of course, thank you for making Locked on Diamondbacks your first listen every day. I would not be able to do this podcast without you, my loyal listeners, sharing, subscribing, reviewing, doing all that so I could do this podcast for you. Thank you. It's free and available on all platforms, so please continue to tell your friends. On today's podcast, we're going to be doing, I almost fumbled the bag there, we're going to be doing part two of our top 10 most disappointing D-backs from the 2022 season. But before we get there, I first want to discuss this Padres versus Philly series because this has been an incredibly fun series to watch so far through the first two games. The two biggest underdogs in the American, excuse me, in the National League. These two were the last two seeds in the wild card race. So it's crazy to think the two worst seeds in the National League playoffs are now fighting in the championship series for the right to go to the World Series to face one of the top two seeds in the American League. I just, I've talked about before, I just love that dichotomy, the compare and contrast of we're going to have a major underdog out of one conference and literally the top dog out the other conference. So I think that's just very fun and very cool to see. But on this Padres versus Philly uh, series and specifically game two the Padres what a comeback by the Padres to put together what a five run inning late in that game like around the fifth inning um because I thought this was going to be a game at the Phillies one I thought the Phillies were going to steal game two and go up two nothing in the series and go back home because I really believed in Aaron Nola in this game and I really didn't believe too much in Blake Snell and I was kind of right for half the game because Blake Snell was bad early. He gave up four runs in the second inning. I was like, all right, here we go. Pa, uh, Philly's up four to nothing in control of the series. And then Aaron Nola gave up a couple runs in that second inning. All right, 4-2. Philly's still in control. But that fifth inning for the Padres, it just all fell fell up. What do I want to say? Fell apart for the Phillies. Fell in line for the Padres because the Padres went through the whole lineup. I mean, Kim got it started, and he was up uh, a second time. I mean, this inning was incredibly long because I had it on at work, and literally we were watching it. We saw the Padres come back. Then a couple of my coworkers like went, left for 20 minutes, went to go play some foosball or shuffball. They came back, and we were like, yo, this inning is still not over yet. And it was just crazy to see the Padres' offense just really come through. Um in that one inning, you know, we saw them. Uh, we saw the Josh Bell and the Brandon Drury back-to-back home runs in this game, and I'm a little shocked 
that the Phillies conceded this game because they were up early. They were getting to Blake Snell early, but Blake Snell really did settle down after that second inning. He really only had one bad inning, and surprisingly, he went deeper into this game than Blake. Blake Snell went deeper into this game than Aaron Nola, and I wouldn't have thought that after watching the first couple innings. I thought Blake Snell was going to be the one that struggled, but Aaron Nola just fell apart completely in that fifth inning, and it just worked out in the Phillies' favor, or excuse me, in the Padres' favor. I don't know why I keep getting these two team names confused. And if the Phillies won this game, think about the control, the momentum they would have had going back to Philadelphia because I had to double-check this. Baseball still does the 2-3-2 format when it comes to the championship series, which is just, let's call a spade a spade. Like It's not smart. It's not a good logistical competitive advantage for the top seed because if you're the Padres and you go down 0-2, yes, you should at least win one of the two games you have at home. But now I go down 0-2 and have to do three straight games in Philadelphia in front of that raucous crowd, maybe the best home crowd in all of Major League Baseball. I have to do three straight games there when I'm down 0-2. Like, that is pretty much a death sentence right there. So this Padres comeback today was so important, not one, just because it's always great to win games in a big, important playoff series, but I don't think there's any chance the Padres are going to win this series if they go down, if they would have went down 0-2, heading back to Philadelphia. I think that would have just been absolutely insane. So good job by the Padres to come back and get it done because I did not think that was going to be possible after seeing how this game started. Also seeing how Bryce Harper is just straight up clicking right now. Like Bryce Harper is on a different level. I think he has like 1,100, 1,200 OPS so far in the postseason. He went two for four today. In this series alone, he's got 370 average with an 875 slugging percentage. Of course, a really small sample size, but Bryce Harper has been phenomenal this series. And when you look at the what the Phillies offense did today, like one reason why I still like this Phillies team to win the series despite losing this game too is because this offense for the Philadelphia Phillies still put up five runs. Like this offense, when you go back to that Braves series, has put up at least, what, five runs or more in, I want to say, four of their last six games. Like this offense has been clicking in the postseason. Um, Bryce Harper, as I mentioned, has been a beast. The Phillies still had eight hits total today. Now, one thing that they do have to get better is is drawing walks and maybe striking out less because a 13 to 1 strikeout to walk ratio just isn't going to cut it. But they had 11 chances with runners in scoring position today, two more than the Padres had. They both actually came through three times with runners in scoring position. So I think the offense, you shouldn't be worried about Philadelphia Phillies. Now, you don't like to see Aaron Nola, your second best starter, get lit up like that because I don't think the Phillies have a super deep rotation. I like Ranger Suarez, but I don't like him as much as I do as a Joe Musgrove is going to be going in game three. And then you look at the bullpens. I still like that Padres bullpen a lot more than the Philadelphia Phillies. I still don't have complete faith in the Phillies bullpen. I know they just got David Robertson back, but he even gave up three hits in an earned run today. Brad Hand, I guess he gave up an earned run today. I don't know if I trust that Phillies bullpen. I know they've been playing well in this postseason. Alvarado's been throwing gas. He's been good. Um, uh, Rodriguez has been good as well, but I still feel like their bullpen is too narrow, not enough high leverage arms to really throw out there in big moments that you can trust. So I'm leaning 
Phillies still in this series. I think it's actually going to go seven games. I think these two teams are very close. I think these rosters are very comparable. Again, we've talked about we've talked about that Manny Machado versus Bryce Harper narrative because both of those were two huge free agents in the summer of 2019. Both of them signing with their respective ball clubs right now. And someone that we saw come through in a big way today who hasn't done it mo- uh, done it much in the postseason this uh, so far this year is Juan Soto who had that big um because when did that Juan Soto hit came it came in the he doubled to tie up the game in the fifth inning so that was huge for Juan Soto because the Padres is still down four to three he hadn't done anything this whole postseason so basically not I always say basically I'm about to give you a fact so the fact that he tied up the game in that fifth inning, after all he struggles, maybe that's what gets the monkey off Juan Soto's back and just is the catalyst for him to have a good postseason. He still didn't get a base hit or do anything outside of that, but I think that made Padres fans feel good and confidence in the rest of the series that we know what Manny Machado is going to do. He had three hits today. I think it was also good to see that Brandon Jury and Josh Bell, your two trade deadline acquisitions, they got multiple hits today too. Josh Hader, a three strikeout save, like your trade deadline additions went off. Manny Machado's been going off, and now Juan Soto might be coming around the corner, the superstar that he is. If he starts to play like the superstar that he is, then I might have to change my prediction on this series. But right now, I'm still riding Philadelphia Phillies in seven games. Now we're going to be discussing the top 10 most disappointing D-backs from the 2022 season. But one thing that I also find disappointing is dress shirts because they are just uncomfortable. I don't like wearing them. They're tight and they're just never my size. But don't worry, that's not an issue any longer because the dress shirt at Roan is exactly what you need in your life because the dress shirt was due for a radical reinvention. And Roan stepped up to the challenge. Roan's commuter shirt is the most comfortable, breathable, and flexible shirt known to man. And here's why. Roan's comfortable four-way stretch fabric provides breathability and flexibility that leaves you free to enjoy what life throws your way from your commute to work to your 18 holes of golf. It's time to feel confident with a wrinkle-free shirt without the hassle. With Roan's wrinkle-release technology, wrinkles disappear as you stretch and wear the shirt It's that easy. With Gold Fusion anti-odor technology, you'll be smelling fresh and clean all day long. And on top of that, Roan is 100% machine washable, so you can ditch the dry cleaner altogether. The commuter shirt can get you through any workday and straight into whatever comes next. Head to Roan.com slash LockedOn. Use promo code LockedOn to save 20% off your entire order. That's 20% off your entire, entire order when you head to R-H-O-N-E dot com slash locked on and use code locked on. It's time to find your corner office comfort. All right, all right, all right. Let's get back into the podcast and let's discuss the top 10 most disappointing D-backs from the 2022 season. Honorable mentions, let's start with that. We had J.B. Wendelkin, Humberto Castellanos, and then we had a pair of Jordan Luplo and Cooper Hummel here. And then checking in number 10 for most disappointing D-backs was Geraldo Perdomo. Checking in at number 9 was Noah Ramirez. But now we are here at number 8 for top 10 most disappointing D-backs from the 2022 season. And at number eight, I have Haven 
Smith. And this one breaks my heart because I love Paven Smith. This is a friend of the pod. I had Paven Smith on a Lockdown Dimebacks podcast during the 2020 season. He was a great person to have on. I reached out to him. He responded almost immediately. We were able to make it work with his schedule. I really respect and I love Paven Smith, but he did disappoint me a little bit this season because Paven Smith I thought this was going to be a make-or-break season for Paven Smith. It was going to be the opportunity for him to maybe be a super utility player for Paven Smith because I think we all know he's not an everyday player, but he could have at least been a super utility backup first baseman and corner outfielder. And instead, that never worked out for Paven Smith. Instead, he spent most of his time in the minor leagues. Like At one point entering the year, I was like, could he make the D-backs think twice about trading Christian Walker because if it was going to be another terrible D-back season and if Christian Walker was going to have a bounce back maybe you trade him if Paven Smith is looking like a guy that can at least be serviceable and be a stopgap at first base but Paven Smith just once again really struggled at the plate and just once again just doesn't just doesn't really have a spot on the field like where do you put him defensively he's not athletic enough and his arm isn't strong enough or accurate enough to play the corner outfield spot same reasons go with him playing first base like he could do it first base and probably be serviceable at it but his bat it just nowhere near what a normal first baseman's bat is so it's like where do you put Paven Smith it's just very hard to find a spot on the field for him and then not only was he sent to the minor leagues like that was probably good that he was sent to the minor leagues because it led to more opportunities for guys like Jake McCarthy like imagine if Paven Smith was never sent to the minor leagues and then Jake McCarthy was like a guy who played every seven games or so as a just a left-handed bat to back up Paven Smith essentially in right field like that would have been crazy if we never saw Jake McCarthy outside of a super platoon or maybe an injury situation and Jake McCarthy like was maybe our best position player from this past season Hamburg Christian Walker so it would have been insane to think about him not being on the major league level for as much time as he was and Paven Smith getting those opportunities. And so for Paven Smith, uh, the future with him on this team is just so unclear, very murky, and I just don't know exactly what to do with him in the future. I think he'll probably still get a couple opportunities start next season. Again, he's he still might be the backup first baseman to Christian Walker in the future for at least a foreseeable future because I don't know about Seth Beer and you know what, teaser, he might be on this list later. But let's talk a little bit more about Paven Smith and his numbers as to why he, why why I think he had a disappointing season. Not just because of the expectations I had for him, because let's be honest, I, I never thought he was going to have a breakout season entering this year. But I was like, as a former first-round pick, he needs to show us something this year. And that's why it was so disappointing, because he is a former, like, number seven overall pick. And he just doesn't have the offensive profile of someone that should have been drafted that high. He was, let's start with a little positive though, he was pretty good in his final 10 games of the season when he came back from the minor leagues in those final 10 games, a 313 average, which is really good, but 767 OPS, like that's solid, but this is the best version of you that we've seen, only 767 OPS, you probably want to see that be a little bit better, and another reason why it's just hard to get behind Paven Smith is because we, like we always talk about on every podcast, Toy Lovello loves the cross matchup and Paven Smith just wasn't particularly good when he had that cross matchup because against right-handed batters Paven Smith as a lefty only batted 219 against righties with a 695 OPS like that is just not good enough for runners in scoring position Paven Smith wasn't super trustworthy for runners in scoring position Paven Smith batted 212 with a 610 OPS 
with men on the bases. He batted 239 with 699 OPS. Like, your first baseman is supposed to be a guy that you could insert into the middle of your lineup, supposed to be a big RBI collector. And we all know that we were never going to see that for Paven Smith. Paven Smith, batting average on balls in play, just 262, a really low number. His hard contact stats were pretty similar to what they were last year. 88 mile an hour exit velocity, like that's solid. 35.9% hard hit percentage, like that's solid as well. So the hard contact numbers weren't terrible for Paven Smith, but the issue is his ground ball rate is just way too high. 44% ground ball rate, like all his, like all the hard contact that he makes is probably on the ground. He needs to elevate the ball a little bit more if he wants to take that next step, if he's ever able to take that next step. And one thing that Paven Smith can do really well is the fastball. He crushes the fastball, which is something you need if you're going to be a major leaguer. You can stick around if you're going to crush the fastball, at least for a little bit, because Paven Smith, 300-plus average against a fastball and a 500-plus slugging percentage against a fastball. But against breaking balls and off-speed pitches, around a 100 average and around a 175 slugging percentage there. So Paven Smith, he had his ups and downs, more downs and ups. I think at one point last year, he actually did show something at the plate because there was a point during last season where he was actually batting it, where his batting average was like around 280 and he was one of the league leaders, I think, in batting average. Like, I think at one point, Paven Smith was like top 10 in batting average because I don't think he's terrible as like a contact hitter. Paven Smith can usually get the barrel to the ball. Like, last year, he had an 82.7% contact percentage. This year, 78% contact percentage. So, Paven Smith does kind of have a good eye. He knows how to make contact with the ball. It just, and he knows how to make like decently hard contact. The issue is, he just doesn't have the kind of swing, the launch angle to elevate the ball and really send it. He doesn't have that over-the-fence power. He's just got gap power, and that's about it. And he needs over-the-fence power if he wants to stay long-term at first base. And defensively, he's just not good enough either. So, Peyton Smith, you check in at number eight on my top 10 most disappointing D-backs from the 2022 season. Let's look ahead to number seven because number seven on the top 10 most disappointing D-backs, I have Ian Kennedy. And Ian Kennedy, I think, has to be on this list because like another guy who we might talk about later on this list, Ian Kennedy was supposed to be brought in as a stable closer, veteran reliever. Maybe not be the closer, but a guy who's had closing experience who if the Mark Melanson of the world, the guys who were supposed to be our closer, if he got hurt, hey, you got Ian Kendi at least to be your backup option. Or if Mark Melanson just flat out struggles like he did this year, guess what? You still have Ian Kendi who could be your closer. Instead, that didn't happen. Ian Kendi was just one of the worst guys you could have in a big moment. There was never, uh, there might've been a month stretch in the season where I was like oh Ian Kennedy's pitching pretty well I can actually trust him right now but that fell off pretty quickly as well and I feel like I might have fooled myself when it came to Ian Kennedy because I felt like he's been a guy who's been pretty good the last like six or seven years as a reliever I felt like he was a really good reliever when the D-backs signed him but looking again at Ian Kennedy's numbers maybe he just fools gold because looking harder at his career stats like Ian Kennedy's basically good like every other year 
because if you just go year by year by ERA, 5.36 ERA this year for Ian Kennedy. Last year is 3.2. The year before that, and only 14 innings pitch, it was at 9. The year before that, 3.41. The year before that, 4.66. The year before that, 5.38. The year before that, 3.68. The year before that, 4.28. So basically, if you just go year by year, it's like every other year he's either below 4 or near 5. And for his career, he's got a 4.14 ERA. Like for some reason, I felt like maybe Ian Kenny was like a 3.5, 3.6 ERA kind of guy, especially as a reliever. But that's actually not the case. And I might have had my expectations too high for Ian Kennedy entering the season. And maybe I was just too focused on what he did last year because in his 32 innings pitch with Texas last year, I think before he got traded at the deadline, he did 2.51 ERA. He was really good, but he was all right after the deadline with Philadelphia with a 4-1-3 ERA in 24 innings pitch. So maybe I should have expected more of the guy we saw in the second half than in the first half because Ian Kendi, let's look at the numbers. Once again, those cross matchups, Ian Kendi was not good in those situations. 800-plus OPS allowed to both righties and lefty batters, which is just crazy. 292 average and 875 OPS allowed to righties, and a 253 average and an 804 OPS allowed to lefties. Also, right here, I don't even know what I put down. I just put down 310 average and over 1,000 OPS allowed. On what, Millard? On what did he do that for? Oh, well, in the second half of the season, Ian Kennedy was not good. Um, but I believe I now know what I wrote that down for. I don't know why I didn't um, label it better. But Ian Kennedy, home versus road splits. Ian Kennedy, very Blake Snell-esque because major splits for Ian Kennedy. At home, he had a 4-6-1 ERA. Pretty bad. But on the road... 6.26 ERA, and really the numbers is what tells the story because a 2.48 average and a 6.77 OPS allowed at home, but on the road, a 3.10 average and over a thousand OPS allowed on the road. He just wasn't good on the road, absolutely at all. In same situations, situations that we thought maybe we could use Ian Kennedy in, especially seeing how much Mark Melanson was struggling. Nope, can't use Ian Kennedy in those situations either. 4-5-6 ERA in 23.2 innings pitch of save situation this year. Just not good for him. And that was such an area where I was like, all right, if Mark Melanson doesn't work out, at least we have Ian Kennedy to be a potential closer. But nope, 0 for 2 on both of those veteran levers potentially making an impact. When you look at his numbers against the top six in someone's batting lineup, over 900 OPS allowed to the top six in someone's lineup. Like, think about that. This is the top of your order. More than... More than the top half of someone's order. He's just terrible in those situations. And I think the craziest stat that I could find for Ian Kendi, like we've talked about a lot, batters and pitchers. Whoever is leading the count, like for a pitcher, if they're ahead in the count, their numbers are drastically way better, right? If a batter is ahead in the count, their numbers are drastically way better, which is expected. If I'm a batter and it's a 2-0 count, I'm probably going to be expecting that fastball. I'm going to be looking more for pitches to hit. I could be a little bit more patient, right? That makes sense. If I'm a pitcher and I got 0-2 count, I could, I'm getting crazy with what I'm about to throw next. I'm going to try to fool him. I'm going to try to throw what he's not expecting, right? So you expect your numbers to be better, whether you're a pitcher or a hitter, when you're ahead of the count. But for Ian Kennedy, you can't apply that logic because when the batter was ahead against Ian Kennedy, the batter, a 208 average, which is like, whoa, okay, Ian Kennedy, you actually did good when the batter was ahead. But he did allow an 867 OPS with the batter ahead. So not too good. But... When Ian Kendi was ahead of the count, this is when you're supposed to dominate Ian Kendi. A 329 average allowed 
and a 983 OPS allowed. When the batter was ahead, it was only a 208 average. But when Ian Kennedy's ahead, he he gives up a 329 average. You turn into a future Hall of Famer when you're ahead of the count against Ian Kennedy, which is just absolutely insane. Another guy who's terrible with two outs, which you know I just hate to see. A 997 OPS and a 313 average allowed with two outs. Also wasn't good in a high leverage moments. A nine or a 961 and a 311. A, 311 average and 961 OPS allowed in a high leverage moments for Ian Kendi. Terrible on zero days of rest. Like as a reliever, you got to be ready to go on zero days of rest. Ian Kendi, 900 OPS allowed with zero days of rest. His strikeout rate and his walk rate went in the wrong direction this season. Also had just a really high contact percentage allowed. Like his contact percentage was like above 80%. I have it here. Um, just not good enough for Ian Kenny. Just too much contact given up. His hard contact numbers are what's really disgusting because he gave up bad contact numbers, you know, just normal contact. But his hard contact numbers, disgusting. A 92.2 exit velocity allowed. He's bottom 1% in the league in his exit velocity allowed. 45.4% hard hit percentage. And every expected like hard, every expected stat for Ian Kennedy, expected batting average allowed, expected slugging percentage allowed. It was basically bottom 2% in all those stats. And when you look at the pitches he likes to throw, he gave up a 385 average allowed on his changeup. But get this, 500 or worst average allowed on both his curveball and cutter. Ian Kennedy was not the man we thought he was going to be when the D-back signed him. He needed to be a stabilizing force in the back end of the bullpen. Instead, he just brought more of the shaky. So once again, we talk about it now at the end of every podcast. Mike Hazen, we know what your homework is this offseason. Go revamp the bullpen. Go fix the bullpen because I believe the D-backs can compete next year, but it won't happen until this bullpen gets fixed. Now, that's it for this edition of the Lockdown Dimebacks podcast. Come back tomorrow for more Dimebacks news coverage insight. Thank you for tuning into today's podcast. Thank you for making Lockdown Dimebacks your first listen every day. I wouldn't be able to do this podcast without you. Now go make your second listen of the day. Lockdown MLB with our pal Sully Baseball, who you hear every Monday on this podcast. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy. Deuces.